Welcome to the Alliance Specialty Podcast, a show dedicated to risk management and professional solutions. Here is your host, Sandy Crystal. Welcome everyone to our latest SPAC podcast. This is Sandy Crystal, uh, Executive Vice President and Managing Director at Alliance. I'm pleased to have with me today, uh, Tim Crowley, our uh, SPAC practice leader, Steve Chappelle, Alliance Specialties Head of Legal and Claims, and Tom Shashati, Vice President in our Financial Institutions Practice. And we're here today to talk again on SPACs. Uh, today, Tim is gonna go through an update on where the market for SPACs is, which has certainly changed over the last uh, several months and even the last several weeks. Steve is gonna give us an update on the claims environment on SPACs with the, with the volume of SPACs that we have seen that has led to more and more claims in the SPAC arena. And then Tom's going to talk about what sponsors should be thinking about uh, from their own exposure and their own coverage. So with that, I'm going to hand it off to Tim. Want to give us an update on where the SPAC market is today. Since our last podcast update, the environment for SPAC DNO insurance continues to evolve on a, on a weekly, if not daily basis. Specifically, almost all carriers are continuing to adjust their underwriting appetites for SPACs. On top of the significant increase in SPACs that we experienced in 2020, We've already experienced over 200 SPACs in the first two calendar months of 2021, and thereby each of these insurers has provided a significant amount of capital to the SPAC community and is analyzing the claim trends that Steve will talk about, but also how they control their capital while remaining disciplined to underwriting and differentiating amongst the SPACs. So some of the carriers that were frequently writing primary, excess, or side A for SPACs at the time of the IPO have adjusted those appetites. There's still a strong appetite amongst the carriers to provide those solutions. However, some carriers that were previously providing primary solutions are now more focused on excess or higher excess or side A options. Some of the carriers are beginning to become a little bit more creative as they look to continue to provide solutions to the SPAC community, but maybe a little bit more on their own terms than what they were doing you know, six months, 12 months, or et cetera, or longer ago. So one concept that we're seeing insurers um, attached to their policies is in the form of what they're labeling as an affiliate exclusion. This type of exclusion continued to provide the coverage. However, we determined that the insurance would not provide coverage to any type of transaction if there is some kind of affiliate ownership represented from the SPAC to the ultimate target, whether that's ownership by this, the sponsor itself or by the directors or even an officer of the SPAC. Um, clearly, that's not an ideal solution, but based on kind of the appetite of the targets, that may be something that, that could help lower a premium in some circumstances or allow a SPAC to obtain additional capacity. If that is something that's being considered, there are common exceptions or grants of coverage within that exclusion that will allow to grant the cover in the event that there was some type of independent third-party fairness opinion from some type of M&A advisor or other. In response to kind of the, the accelerating premium environment and a little bit of a supply and demand issue at the insurance carriers, an increasing number of uh, SPAC clients are looking at SADE only options. SADE insurance affords protection to the individual directors and officers in circumstances where identification is unavailable from the SPAC. In the SPAC context, that is a bit more likely due to the trust concerns than maybe a typical C-Corp or publicly traded company. So that is a way that some insureds for SPACs are looking to provide the protection to the directors and officers and shield those personal assets, but um, reduce cost a bit. Most of our SPACs purchase the coverage on a 24-month period to align with the life of the SPAC, but some SPACs are looking to evaluate options on either a 12 or an 18-month basis. 
Um, and depending upon the insurance carrier, you may or may not get a discount for that, but it's something that should be explored both on a primary and or excess basis. From an underwriting perspective, we're continuing to see the carriers scrutinize the, the risk factors in the S1, whether it has to do with SEC guidance regarding potential conflicts of interest in the offering statements, or even um, certain S1 risk factors, even sometimes even relating to the state of the DNO insurance market and, and the level of those premiums. And you know the, the, the underwriters continue to focus on certain S1 risk factors relating to the, the availability or lack thereof of indemnification to the SPAC during the hunting phase in response to the, the proceeds of the IPO being within a trust. And lastly, just from a timing perspective, it seems like you know a lot of SPACs are now getting to market sooner, both from you know the, the equity markets and the DNO insurance market. It seems like the, the timing between some of the confidential S1 periods and up to the public filing and ultimately the IPO is, is in some cases shortening. And I think that just kind of highlights the need to work with a qualified insurance brokers such as Alliant kind of early and often in the process to get the proper advice to establish a strategy and timelines that generate the best results for the SPAC and its directors and officers. Underwriters are continuing to look at the number of SPACs out there, but also the number of SPACs that a sponsor may have in the marketplace hunting for targets at the same time. So underwriters may be evaluating the time in between a SPAC goes public and announces its business combination and then either files a second and or even a third S1 or goes public with that, that second or third SPAC to look at the amount of capacity that's providing to an individual SPAC and to see how many SPACs are out there hunting for targets at that one time in a given industry class. Given what we're seeing and what Tim described in the marketplace, you know, Steve, do you want to talk about what the claims environment is out there? Are the underwriters you know, experiencing claims activity in the SPAC world that's driving this behavior? Yeah, so certainly there are SPAC claims. And, you know, the, the good news is, you know, there have been, as Tim described, right, there's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these SPACs, and these SPACs are beginning to de-SPAC. And so we're, we're getting a chance to observe where these claims are going to come from. You know, the good news is we've not seen any claims arising out of the pure IPO of the SPAC. So that's the good news. And, and I think most people didn't anticipate them because literally they're taking money, they're raising funds in an IPO and putting it in a trust. So there's not a whole lot that could go wrong there. The DSPAC is the process where we're seeing litigation and we're seeing a variety of litigation. And I'll say the good news is we, don't, we haven't seen a lot of litigation. So in the last 12 months, by my count, and I counted uh, before I just got on here, I think there are 13, maybe 14 federal shareholder class action complaints involving SPACs. Um, and when I say involving, some of them are very remote. They started as a SPAC, they de-SPAC, and more than a year later might, might have drawn a kind of classic 10b5 lawsuit. But the fact that their, their genesis was a SPAC, it puts them in this category and we're, we're paying attention to this because it is something we are doing. We're, we're really studying these because there's a lot of unknown. We, we know a lot about shareholder class action litigation and we know about a lot about what gets people sued in a public setting. And that's what happens here when they de back, they become public companies. So we have the 10b5 litigation. We have the merger objection litigation. And what I would say in the current year, there's been, by my count, six of the 56 lawsuits filed so far this year involve SPACs. 
And of those six, two of them are merger objections. So kind of the classic merger objection we see. The news is pretty good. So of the annual rate right now of about 350 shareholder class actions per year, because it ticked down last year, there's only been 13 in the last year. So that's the good news. The bad news is you know, we are seeing these. And what we're seeing is, is kind of an increasing boldness in the pleadings that's going to really involve a lot of intense motions practice and litigation. We're seeing, you know, like one of the last ones filed, we saw the, the sponsor named in the lawsuit. We saw the SPAC board and CEO and CFO named, you know, along with the target companies, CEO and CFO. So we're seeing some pretty bold pleadings. And based on my observation and the law, I mean, I, I don't think a lot of these will stick, right? Because particularly these claims are, are sounding in fraud, like a 10B5 suit. And that's a very difficult claim to make against a sponsor because the sponsor's you know, making very limited representations and the pleading requirement to plead scienter to commit fraud is very high. So, so we're going to see some pretty intense motions practice in the first half of this year on some of these you know, these 13 claims that have been filed in the previous year. So fingers crossed, right? The, the one thing we don't know of, of the 20 or so kind of DSPAC suits filed ever, because SPAC and DSPACing is not new. It's just the frequency is just out of this world right now. But what we've seen is some of those suits, a number of them have been voluntarily dismissed and have gone really well. So fingers crossed, right? We're going to keep our eye on this. But you know the litigation is ramping up is the bad news. And the, the, the allegations of 10B5 fraud in Section 14 of the 34 Act allegations for misrepresentations and proxies, they're, they're being made in, in greater frequency. Luckily, it's not an alarming number right now, but we're watching it very carefully as we have a SPAC and DSPAC a day occurring. Tom, given all that background, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, what sponsors should be thinking about from their own exposure when they're sponsoring SPACs? Sure. Uh, during our last conversation, we touched on the point that some financial institutions uh, should look into their own management, professional liability insurance, and how there could be some ENODNO coverage uh, potentially built into those programs that could extend to the SPAC sponsors, either as a subsidiary or an affiliate. Um, or a portfolio company of a fund, you know, we would certainly encourage folks to continue investigating this with their broker and prepare for underwriting questions uh, that'll certainly come up during the cycle. Um, carriers are, are looking into the sponsorship themselves from a structure standpoint, warrant offerings, private placements. They're also um, looking into where the liability sits among any funds, their managers and the sponsor and the SPACs. And then any available in indemnity from a fund, its management company, or these affiliates um, and, and how that would all sort of shake out. Another item too that they're asking about is any potential conflicts of interest from a regulatory perspective. Just seeing again, the regulators are keeping in mind the end investor and just making sure that disclosures are certainly uh, tip, tip top shape. Depending on what they learn, any renewal terms that come in may include uh, exclusions pertaining to SPAC sponsorship. So just something else to be mindful of. It's not a, a, a hard exclusion in some, we've, we've been successful in negotiating these exclusions off, but I would just suggest giving your underwriters the opportunity to understand and underwrite the risk. As Tim alluded to, you know, the market is shifting quickly, right? It's changing by the days, by the weeks. So we're going to continue to monitor and provide more, more updates. Thank you, Tom. Here at Alliant, we placed DNO insurance for over 50 SPACs in the last 12 months, and this remains an area that changes very quickly, and we remain committed to staying on top of for our clients. 
I want to thank Tim, Steve, and Tom for their insights today. And I hope everyone took away something from our podcast and I look forward to our next one. Thank you for listening to the Alliance Specialty Podcast. For more information, visit www.alliance.com.